The scripture reading today is from the Gospel of John, chapters 2 and 3. You can find it printed on page 10 of your worship folder. When Jesus was in Jerusalem during the Passover festival, many believed in his name because they saw the signs that he was doing. But Jesus, on his part, would not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and needed no one to testify about anyone for he himself knew what was in everyone. Now, there was a Pharisee named Nicodemus, a leader of the Jews. He came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do apart from the presence of God. Jesus answered him, Very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God without being born from above. Nicodemus said to him, How can anyone be born after having grown old? Can one enter a second time into the mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and spirit. What is born of the flesh is flesh, and what is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not be astonished that I said to you, You must be born from above. The wind blows where it chooses, and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you a teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know and testify to what we have seen, yet you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you about earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe it if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except the one who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, so that everyone who believes in him may not perish, but may have eternal life. The word of the Lord. Take a moment now for silent reflection. God made us now in this story. Um, Help us to find ourselves like Nicodemus does here, sitting with you in the night, in the darkness, getting into our deepest questions about who you are, and who we need to be. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning. You know, this um, setting with the uh, candles and the low lights, which I asked for to kind of set the scene, um, it reminds me a lot of our house right now, the the Gunblock, the Jonathan and Kristen Gunblock family household, because we have this odd Lenten practice that um, I never, like, We just sort of made it up about seven years ago, and it was literally no thought went into it. I think I just said one day, uh, how about we do no artificial lights, sorry, for Lent, no artificial lights at all. So nighttime is like really long in our house right now. (laughs) Um, There are candles everywhere. We've got those uh, old-fashioned oil lamps, a few of them at least. I mean, it's, it's, like, it's like medieval in our house at night. Um, and it's an interesting, I mean, we've done it for like seven years now, and it, it's turned out to be a pretty 
great practice because it accomplishes some of the things you're looking for in Lent. It makes you rethink how you live. There's limitations put on you in that. Uh, for us, it's a lot of uh, supervising and managing our child, one, one child in particular's pyrotechnical interests um, when there are literally flames everywhere throughout the house. Um, and you really begin to appreciate the light. I mean, the small lights of the candles and the lanterns, you really begin to look forward to sunrise like something I've never really experienced in that way, because you need the sun to rise. You need that light so that you can get back on with your normal everyday life. So there's all these blessings, but those are kind of like the lights and the sunrise. Those are the blessings of the light in that darkness. There's also a blessing of the darkness. There's a spaciousness. There's like an opening to, to dive into another part of God, another part of your soul that you miss, which I think is part of what's going on here in this passage as well. Um, Wendell Berry says, uh, to go into the dark with a light, to go into the dark with a light, is to know light. To know the dark, go dark. Go without sight and find that the dark too blooms and sings and is traveled by dark feet and dark wings. Our passage this morning is a nighttime conversation, a conversation in the dark between two rabbis, two rabbis, Nicodemus, part of the Jewish religious ruling class, highly educated, wealthy, we find out through later passages, and Jesus, a rabbi, but a rabbi from nowhere, uneducated, but turning the world upside down, turning that part of the world upside down, causing quite a stir within the religious community, and Nicodemus has questions, and so he finds this way to meet Jesus alone at night and at night, for kind of obvious reasons, that, you know, it's a risky conversation. Um, it's risky in a whole bunch of ways. Likely, this is, even though this appears in John 3, and there's a little bit of debate around this in the kind of scholarly world, but even though this appears early in John's gospel, likely this is the last week of Jesus' life because John doesn't care about chronology hardly at all. He mixes up stories and events all the time because John is painting a picture using symbols like light and darkness and spirit and flesh. He's using symbols to paint a picture of who Jesus really is. He's not so concerned about chronology, but Jesus goes to the cross at the end of this week. There is quite a stir going on, and Nicodemus is trying to sort out, who are you really? Who are you really? Now, this painting, before I forget and go too far, um, I looked a lot this week for a good painting about this passage because it's been painted quite a few times. This was the only one that really drew me in. And the funny thing, it's not even a finished painting. It's, it's a draft of, 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 of a really cool painting, just different, by um, Henry Osawa Tanner, who was the first African-American painter to actually find international fame. 
in the late 1800s, early 1900s, but he couldn't actually find that from America. He had to go to Paris where he could be more accepted and was welcomed more, um, not completely, but more into the art scene at that time and became, he has a famous painting on uh, Daniel in the lion's den, which, and I love his, his work. Um, but then he was invited, once he kind of came on the scene, a patron sent him to Jerusalem to study the biblical scenes and passages and um, to see the sites. And it was there in 1899 that he got to work on this painting. Um, this is Nicodemus meets Jesus, and it's a draft. I love it because it's a draft, because it's unfinished, it's mysterious, it has that light and darkness going on, and I think it kind of invites us to sit with Jesus for a little while in the darkness. And so Nicodemus does that. He goes to Jesus partly because night was a little safer. He could do it more kind of under the cover of darkness. But I think also because there's just certain questions and conversations you can't have during the day. I mean, just practically and psychologically, you can think about Nicodemus' daytime life as a religious leader in that system and the things he would have been preoccupied in trying to manage. The debates, the controversies, it's the Passover week, there's Roman oppression going on. That's his daytime world. There's a controversy brewing about who this Jesus is. A lot of opinions on that. That's his daytime world, but he needs the spaciousness of night to have this kind of conversation where he goes to Jesus with something much deeper. He's going to Jesus saying, who are you really? Who are you really? What are you really here to do? I believe that's his question. Now, he, he doesn't actually get to ask it. He comes in kind of with a very nice introduction to Jesus, like, we know you're from God. We can see what you're doing. And Jesus kind of cuts him off. As soon as Nicodemus says, we can see what you're about, and you've got to believe he's really there with specific questions. about his life, about their religious community, about their oppression from the Romans, about their future, about their awaiting for a Messiah, all these things. And Jesus stops him and says, Nicodemus, you can't even see what's going on here unless you're born from above. It's almost like we can't even really have this conversation yet, Nicodemus. And as soon as Jesus says that, for the rest of this dialogue, the two parties completely miss each other. I mean, they're just talking past each other completely. And I don't want to blame Nicodemus for this. I actually think he's an amazing figure that we can learn a lot from. But he hears Jesus say, Nicodemus, you got to be born from above. And what he hears very reasonably is, Nicodemus, you need to be born again. Because the word Jesus uses to say, born from above, can just as equally be understood as you need to be born again. Jesus seems to be going one direction with that word. Look up, look to the Spirit, think broader, a renewal that comes from God. Nicodemus locks into this more narrow meaning of the same word, reasonable interpretation, but narrow, probably pretty left brain, probably bringing all his seminary training, trying to figure out what exactly are you saying? Let me parse this out, Jesus kind of doing the rabbi thing, here is born again, asks, reframes kind of his questions that way, and then Jesus is like, that's not what I'm talking about. 
And so this really sort of confusing, almost non, you know, series of non sequiturs, you can go through and try to parse out what each one of those mean, and that's what scholars spend a lot of time doing. But really, it's Nicodemus is locked in to a narrow, small question, and Jesus is saying, think much bigger. Zoom way out, Nicodemus. Look up. Think about the Spirit. Think about the deeper things that you've actually learned in your training and in the history of this people. But the questions you're asking right now are too small for you. They're too narrow. They won't satisfy you. And they're blocking you from seeing what's really happening here. You need to rethink everything, Nicodemus. You need to experience something brand new, expand your horizons, and it's something I can only describe as being born from above, being born from the Spirit. You need to be reborn in the Spirit, Nicodemus. kind of kills the conversation. And Nicodemus pretty quickly fades from the scene. Jesus keeps talking. John, the writer of this gospel, is elaborating and kind of using some theological moves to keep explaining Jesus' message. But it's not really about Nicodemus anymore at that point. It's really about us. Nicodemus appears later on. We'll talk about that briefly near the end. But he fades out. But I think the reason is John has a message for us. And some of what I want to lean into a bit for the next few minutes, and I think is a good question for the season of Lent, is where do we need to spend some time? You and I, where do we need to spend some time in the darkness with Jesus, in the night? Where do you need to take some time during these few weeks, a very unique few weeks in the church life, um, to get out of the blazing white light of your vocational busyness, of your craving and my craving for certainty and being able to plan and strategizing, even social community life that never stops, family life that you know, it has to be maintained. Where do we need to find ways to carve out space to have an encounter during this Lenten season with Jesus in a more nighttime, dark space? Whatever that means for you. It doesn't actually have to mean lights out, although it can. But where do you need to find the space? Because there's certain things that we learn kind of in the bright daylight of spirituality and life and then there's certain things that we can only learn in the spaciousness of darkness. There's a quote in our um, worship folder by Bill Plotkin. He says, uh, re- kind of reflecting on a concept similar to this, he says, the archetypal wanderer, the archetypal wanderer knows she's not likely to run across her soul in the broad daylight of the village. If her soul had been waiting for her there, she probably would have found it a long time ago. The day world of family and culture is the setting within which her ego has already acquired its particular qualities both its vulnerabilities and strengths. So her ego has already embraced most of the possibilities that exist there. Now she must look elsewhere. She must sink deeper into more fertile, darker soil in order to tap her greatest and wildest possibilities. So Lent is a season where we embrace a wilderness 
Today, the wilderness comes up as kind of darkness and disorientation. And let we need to embrace that. Let that kind of necessary darkness do its work so that God can begin to renew us, can begin to help us be born anew in the Spirit. And you know, that would be Lent, a Lenten practice anyway, in a normal year. Um, I think in some ways, Lent 2020, um, we're not going to have any choice but to embrace disruption of our ordinary daily life. To go through a necessary kind of darkness, disorientation, disruption, because, you know, we're tracking this kind of in an unprecedented way, not because of the severity of the coronavirus, but because we can see it coming in a way that maybe the world never has been able to do. And so the responsibilities on us, it both raises our anxiety, it also gives us opportunities to prepare. But as a Christian, or somebody maybe not even considering, might not consider yourself to be a Christian, somebody at least a little curious about Jesus. There's an opportunity in that. There's an opportunity in the way of Jesus and in the Lenten season practice to embrace the disorientation, to at least see the possibility for learning new ways to walk, new ways to live, new ways to be like Jesus, to each other, new ways to love. So in some ways, I think us as a church, the church worldwide, people all over the city and world, um, and if there's really a time where maybe there's a bit of world solidarity around something, it's like we don't have all the answers. Everybody knows that right now in a very crystal clear, tangible way. But there's opportunity to slow down a bit, to rethink life, priorities, how we need to live day by day, how we need to take care of each other as this church community over the next several weeks. Just through, if nothing else, through the intense disruption that is going to be occurring. Praying and hoping that not too many people get sick. It'll give us many opportunities to be born again, to be born from above. And you know, that phrase, I'm curious how it hits you. Um, I wrestle with it in general because it's kind of got a negative connotation in my life, um, you know, and it's characterized or, um, you know, it's used pretty sarcastically, right, in the world, especially about Christians. Um, I wonder what it means for you. Like if, if you were sitting with Jesus and Jesus says to you, you need to start over. You can start over. You can begin again. You can be born from above. Where does your mind go? I mean, it could go to something deep in your past. It could go to like this morning. 
And I think somewhere in there, when you think about being born from above or being reborn, the way Jesus talks about here, during the season of Lent, it gives us some opportunity to figure out what is still unresolved in us. That Jesus wants to heal and help begin again and bring into new life. For me, I think about a bunch of different ways of being born again. On the one hand, I was raised Pentecostal, all right? So I was raised like mega Pentecostal, which was a trip in and of itself. Um, I was born again like all the time, um, <laughs> at least once a year in, in the summer, um, <laughs> but often many other times during the year. So there's that kind of being born again. It was really like religious revival, you know, major, you know, exuberant, heartfelt experience with God, which are wonderful. Um, what I found, and I think I, I wouldn't be surprised if you found as well, is that the deeper, the deeper experiences of being reborn, of new birth, of uh, being born from above or born again, actually usually come through a dark, sometimes longer than we wished for, spiritual wandering. Um, for me, a significant version of that was during seminary, oddly enough. I went to seminary attracted to church life and work, but right as I was beginning seminary, I actually also began to seriously question everything about my faith because I was very disillusioned by the church. I was disillusioned by the church because it did not accept many of the people I loved. I was disillusioned by the church because um, a lot of it was because I felt like the churches I had been part of had answers for questions nobody was asking. The churches I was part of were completely non-responsive to the needs and work of the community. I think we've got some angels joining our uh, service right now. I must have been onto something. I don't know. Okay. Um, and I was, I was just like, I don't know if I believe this anymore. I was re-questioning it from the ground up, and it wasn't a short thing. It was like years, several years. I was studying other religions alongside Christianity in seminary, asking, what is this whole thing about? Now, that was a major deconstruction. That was me sitting with Jesus in the dark saying, who are you really? The really interesting thing to me in that is while I was questioning the church left and right and questioning Christianity left and right, Jesus never became less interesting to me. Jesus became more and more and more fascinating to me. The darker my vision of the church became. And that was a journey. That took a while. I mean, we sang a song earlier today about, you know, God alone being our foundation. And it's an interesting place to get where you don't trust the church, but you trust Jesus. It took years. It took years to begin to really sift through that and begin to rebuild something that operated more like a coherent, systematized, theological Christianity. And in a lot of ways, you know, that still goes on. I mean, I'm very much a Christian, but that's searching that curiosity, that need to probe deeper is still very much there. It's part of why I'm attracted to a church like this. I'm grateful for a church like this. But it's, you know, it's a rebirth through a long wilderness experience. There's also the, the daily rebirth that we need. The moment by moment starting again. 
which has become lately in my life the most powerful version of what I think Jesus is talking about here. You know, um, Bono, who, you know, is like the most popular rock star for pastors over 40. Um, <laughs> Bono um, said something I like, which is, uh, I, wish, I wish to begin again. I wish to begin again on a daily basis. To be born again every day is something I try to do, and I'm deadly serious about that. To be born again every day. And I can tell you, um, I'm born again every morning. Um, it takes about 10 minutes. Uh, I make my coffee, and about 10 minutes later, I'm born again, and I'm not talking about caffeine, but a very simple daily meditation practice that I've had to kind of cultivate over time because years ago, and if you've been around City Church lately, you've noticed that we have a, um, a contemplative prayer gathering often in the mornings before church, and I highly recommend that. I started down that kind of a path about seven, eight years ago, and, um, and I dove in really deep, like 30, 40 minute sits with Jesus by myself sometimes, in groups sometimes, um, and it made a radical impact on my life. I, I also found I couldn't sustain that, at least not the way my life is right now. And so over time, I've kind of played with it and tried different things, and I've, and I've whittled it down to something that is life-changing. And it's 10 minutes. And it's 10 minutes with an app that I would have laughed at seven, eight years ago. I would have just laughed at 20, 20 Jonathan using an app on his phone for 10 minutes in the morning. But that small, consistent practice of sitting with God and letting everything go and letting all your assumptions go, it's really an exercise in learning to do less. And you're reborn. And usually by lunch, I need to do it again. But it's um, through this season, we need to be looking for ways, and maybe particularly as the anxieties go up over the next several weeks, looking for ways to reset, to be born again, to be born from above. Um, Nicodemus and Jesus, as I round this out here, I do think there was one thing Jesus said to Nicodemus that day, that night, that connected for him. And maybe not right then on the scene, but later. And it's probably the weirdest verse in the whole passage today. I think it's in 14, where Jesus says, just as Moses was lifted up, lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, and whoever believes in him may have eternal life. This is, this is a uh, kind of Jesus hearkening back to a really weird story in Israel's formative history. Um, it's a story that rabbis would debate regularly at the time of Jesus, because nobody really knew what it was all about or what it meant, but they knew it was formative. It's part of their origin story. And I'm not going to go into it for time's sake, but the real quick summary, they're in the desert. People of Israel are traveling in this wilderness, are complaining. Snakes show up, start biting them. They're poisonous. They get really sick. They're calling out to Moses and God, save us. Moses goes to God, to like, please save them. God says, make a serpent out of bronze and hold it up, and whoever looks at the serpent will be healed. Now, that's a weird story, and it was weird for the rabbis of the day. 
all kinds of debates. Is this literal? Is it symbolic? What does it really mean? All that kind of stuff. So you got Nicodemus, a rabbi, Jesus, a rabbi, talking about this thing. Jesus is saying, look, I want you to rethink about that story in terms of me. Jesus is re-narrating about himself. And a few days later, Jesus is lifted up on the cross. And Nicodemus sees him. Nicodemus is there. Jesus is lifted up on the cross. The sun goes dark. Nicodemus is back there again with Jesus in the dark. And with a friend of his, another Pharisee, they get permission to take Jesus' body. And they give Jesus a royal burial, including like buying, I think, 75 pounds of myrrh and other spices that would have just been incredibly expensive in the day. But I think at that point, Nicodemus was able to begin connecting the dots. And he finally saw something big enough to give his life to, to give his life true meaning. So this Lent, for the next few weeks, in the current church calendar and what the church is calling us to do, but also in the anxiety of this moment in our life, in our world, let's be willing to go into this wilderness together to look forward to the sunrise of Easter, but also to really engage this wilderness um, and let our assumptions, our ways of life be challenged, to be willing to begin again and again be willing to walk with Jesus in new ways and learn to love one another in new ways. And I'm going to close with um, a poem I tended to do lately. Um, and I, I almost didn't, but I thought about this poem a lot this week. And it's actually from a, uh, somebody who's a personal teacher, mentor of mine, um, the poet David White. This is his work, Sweet Darkness. And maybe for you, you, just listen to this and think about either Jesus inviting Nicodemus in night or inviting you into this season of Lent. David White says, uh, when your eyes are tired, the world is tired also. When your eyes are tired, the world is tired also. When your vision is gone, no part of the world can find you. Time to go into the dark where the night has eyes to recognize its own. There, you can be sure you are not beyond love. The dark will be your home tonight. The night will give you a horizon further than you can see. You must learn one thing. You must learn one thing. The world was made to be free in. Give up all the other worlds except the one to which you belong. Sometimes, it takes darkness and the sweet confinement of your aloneness to learn anything or anyone that does not bring you alive is too small for you. Let's pray. God, be with us uh, this week, especially be with us as a church, uh, learning to embrace, learning to walk, and not just the darkness of Lent, in the wilderness of reconstruction, but also in this moment, as a world, as a nation, as a city, help us to be open to you, new ways of living, walking together. Amen.